गोविंद जय जय गोपाल जय जय गोविंद जय जय गोपाल जय जय रमनारी गोविंद जय जय राजा रमनारी गोविंद जय 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 गोपाल जय जय गोविंद जय जय गोपाल जय जय गोविंद जय जय गोपाल जय जय गोविंद जय जय गोपाल जय जय रमन हरि गोविंद जय जय रमन हरि गोविंद जय जय गोविंद जय Yes, welcome everyone. Uh, in honor of Diwali, which is the festival of lights and the, they say the Hindu New Year, and um, uh, it's in honor of Lakshmi, the goddess of abundance and wealth. So I figured nobody would be against that. <laughs> so we'll do we'll do uh, the Mahalakshmi Stotram. We used to do this in the ashram, uh, Baba's ashram, every day, and. Uh, They'll put. We're doing one. You have. You don't have the whole. Oh. It's, you can watch on the. It'll be on the screen. Yeah. 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 Some more. <laughs> yeah. There are three pages. So chant along if you can, and this will bring great wealth and great happiness and great beauty to your life. Okay, should we begin? Namaste to Mahamaya, Shri Pate Sura Pujite, Ah. Uh -huh. 
tonight by the words to the chant we did. But then again, you probably didn't. You're going over it again, right? It's about, could be about Gopal. <clears throat> but now let me begin by, in my customary way, by saying, Subko varasan mane kesat premse ardik swagat. With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And this is Baba's welcome, to welcome everyone with great love into the space of love, in the space of acceptance, and the space of higher consciousness. So welcome, everyone. And uh, I always celebrate the great beings of all the traditions, because the great beings have a special message for us uh, and give a special gift to humanity. And tonight's great being uh, was really my first yogic hero. I was introduced to him by Ramdas when I first became uh, interested in yoga and meditation. 
and then later, uh, while reading uh, Paul Brunton's book, uh, 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 what's it called, Secret India? Search of Secret India. Uh, he was one of the main yogis that was met there, and so I became very interested. I went and bought a book of his question answers, and I studied them intensely, not really understanding a word, but I was very intrigued. Because one thing I could tell, this was an authentic master. This was a great being, and his words were authoritative, even though I couldn't understand them. I felt there were secrets here for me to get. And he is... Hmm? Great photo. Like it? Sri Ramana Maharshi. Very beautiful. Uh, <laughs> well, that, if you think that's something, what's the next one? That's funny. It's it's a selfie. Selfie. It looks like he's taking a selfie. What? Yeah. Selfie. Here's Bhagwan, a very simple man, basically. An Abhudu, in some ways, like Bhagwan Nityananda, just wore a loincloth. Totally otherworldly, as it were. Next. And in honor of uh, uh, Do Dog Wally. <laughs> there he is with his dog, Ramana. And while we celebrate the great Ramana, one of the the great saints of the 20th century, uh, whose, whose influence has only increased over the years. And his teaching has become a cornerstone of uh, Western spirituality in some ways. His teaching of Atma Vichara, or the, the qu questioning inwardly, who am I? This path of inner wisdom. Um, but one of the uh, delightful discoveries I made some years ago, was that there's a wonderful book uh, by a woman named Suri Nagama. We have her? There she is. <clears throat> that must be Arunachala in the background, huh? The, the, the holy mountain. <clears throat> so uh, she was a great devotee of Ramana, lived uh, at the ashram from the 40s until she died in 1980, and she wrote letters to her brother uh, very frequently. I don't know if it was every day, but very frequently. And she would record everything that went on. And she was very close to Ramana, so you get a picture of him as a person, as well as a, a teacher of a particular technique or a great being. And so uh, I'm going to share a couple of things from Suri Nagama. Let me tell you about her. Uh, what a life. She was born in a small village in 1902 in South India. Um, her father died when she was only 10, and she was married at 11. I wonder if the two things are connected. Could very well be. Uh, so she was married off at 11, um, <clears throat> which was normal in those days for the, the culture. Uh, and she was married to somebody about the same age, but he died the next year at the age of 12, of smallpox. So she was left a lifelong widow. Um, and so she, uh, she lived that life in her village. She was not, uh, she was not uh, literate, anything like that. Uh, but she became tremendously interested in spiritual matters. 
and chanting kirtan <clears throat> and listening to yogis talk about the self and so on. And uh, she learned to read and write. She became very literate, actually. Uh, <clears throat> so she, she did those things excellently. Uh, and later she got the desire to meet a true guru. And through her brother and other circumstances, she went to Ramana's ashram and met him uh, quite this much year later, like she's practically 40 by the time she met him. Uh, and when she met him, she was overwhelmed and she decided uh, to stay there. She stayed the rest of her life till 1980. Uh, and because of her, we have these wonderful stories. Ramana, uh, I have to tell about Ramana. <laughs> um, Ramana has least a biography of any person I know, except for Bhagwan Nityananda. But even Bhagwan has a bigger biography because he was born in the south and then he came north and he traveled around and he went to several towns, Akroli, Vajrashwari, and Ganeshpur. So it's a big story. Um, it was found on a lotus. What? It was found in a river on a lotus. On a yeah, all that. Wrapped by a snake, etc. <clears throat> Uh, so, um, if you're going to go to Ganeshpuri, you have to get your head waggle ready. Yeah. And this is this is um, not just a Hindu thing. It's it's a way of thinking and a way of seeing. And when you do this, it means anything is possible. If when you hear a story about some uh, you know a completely impossible event or miracle. Instead of saying, hmm, I don't think so, you go, yes, yes, yes. And uh, so get ready for that, because uh, you may hear some things in India, and you just go, yes, yes, yes. <clears throat> um, but uh, Ramana, Ramana was uh, enlightened uh, uh, at the age of 16, uh, just spontaneously. He... Um, he had a near, a near, we call a, a, a near-death experience. He thought he was dying. And uh, in the course of 20 minutes or half hour, he went through an inquiry, and he had a powerful experience of the self. He felt the energy of the self rise up in him, and it never left him. And so he asked, if my body dies, do I die? And the answer came, no. And he, he got in touch with the self, his essence, and that he was transformed utterly in that time. Extraordinary story, uh, which he tells us in his own words. Wonderful story. And soon afterwards, he left home because he was no longer interested in anything except the divine. And he went, he was drawn to the sacred mountain in South India, Arunachala, which, by the way, is uh, at the foot of that and very near the ashram, is where uh, the animal shelter that we're going to be uh, supporting with tomorrow's program and, and tonight's uh, donations. An old friend of mine, I'll tell this tomorrow, but an old friend of mine from Ann Arbor, wonderful fellow, uh, very deeply sincere and full of compassion, uh, has established that uh, in, uh, uh, in Ganeshpur, in, in Arunachala. 
<clears throat> and uh, they do wonderful work there. Uh, are we going to show some things tonight or just tomorrow? If you come along tomorrow, you'll show some slides of, of that. Uh, but it, by coincidence, or maybe not by coincidence, uh, we're having Ramana tonight. <clears throat> so, uh, first a couple from Suri Nagama's letters. Uh, this was the 8th of August, 1946. She writes her brother, Yesterday morning, Yogi Ramaya questioned Bhagavan thus. <clears throat> now, Yogi Ramaya, I happen to know. I don't know him. But I remembered him from Paul Brunton's book. If you read The Search and Secret India, <clears throat> you might remember Yogi Ramaya, who was a very advanced yogi who Paul Brunton spoke to and who taught Brunton about what was going on there a lot. <clears throat> Uh, it, it, he shows a different side of himself. He's got a bit of an axe to grind. See if you can hear it. He, he questioned Bhagavan thus. Bhagavan is Ramana. <clears throat> Something, any problem? What's up? You need something? I'm sorry, I was looking for your hot water. My hot there. water. What? Here it is. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> okay, so um, he says, Yogi Ramaya says to Bhagavan, <clears throat> Swami, can you tighten that a bit? How do, you, how do you get that? Some disciples of Sai Baba worship a picture of him and say that it is their guru. How can this be? They can worship it as God, but what benefit could they get worshiping it as their guru? <clears throat> so this familiar to me, his attitude. Of course, Sai Baba of Shirdi had died in 1918, so he was long dead, and he's already famous throughout India. Now he's, his fame has spread even more. And so they were saying that Sai Baba is the guru, and Yogi Ramaya was saying, had the attitude that you need a living guru. Now, I believe that you need a living guru, but there's ways of, of saying it and there's fanaticism. Yogi Ramaya was being fanatical and he, he wanted uh, Ramana to agree with him and, and punish these people, something like that. <clears throat> but Bhagavan, of course, doesn't play that game. Bhagavan said, they secure concentration by that by worshiping the picture. It's a way of concentrating the mind. The yogi said, See, he, doesn't, he doesn't realize he should shut up now. <clears throat> that is all very well, I agree. And it may be to some extent a sadhana in concentration, but isn't a guru required for that concentration? <clears throat> and Ramana says, certainly, but after all, a guru only means guri, concentration, said Bhagavan. So, okay, maybe a guru is helpful for concentration. The yogi said, how can a lifeless picture help developing deep concentration? It requires a living guru who could show it in practice. It is possible, perhaps, for Bhagavan to attain perfection without a living guru, but it is impossible for people like myself. 
<laughs> no. So he's trying to, he's, he's actually playing a game with Ramana, wants to get Ramana to agree with him. <clears throat> Bhagwan said, that is true. Even so, by worshipping a lifeless portrait, the mind gets concentrated to a certain extent. That concentration will not remain constant unless one knows one's own self by inquiring. For that inquiry, a guru's help is necessary. That is why the ancients say that inquiry should not stop with mere initiation. It shouldn't stop when you get awakened to keep going. However, even if it does, the initiation will not be without benefit and will bear fruit sometime or other. But there should be no ostentation in this initiation. If the mind is pure, all this will bear fruit. Otherwise, it goes to waste like a seed sown in barren soil. So he's saying that, it, you know, Shaktipat is necessary from a guru and all that. But even then, uh, the mind has to be pure because you can, it'll bear fruit one day. When you get the Shaktipat, you have to make something of it. You can ignore it. You can, uh, uh, or you can nurture it and grow it and make it uh, huge, make it the center. If you really understand what it is, that's all you do. Yogi Ramaya said, I don't know, Swami. You may say that a hundred times or a thousand times. To be sure of one's own progress, a living guru like you is required. How can we give the status of a guru to a lifeless portrait? So he's not, he's not content unless Ramana will say, you're right. You can't have a, a picture of a dead guru. You have to have a living. <clears throat> With a smile on his face, Bhagwan said, yes, yes, nodding his head and then kept silent. <laughs> when all else fails, agree with him. Right? <clears throat> and she writes, brother, all I can say is that smile and that silence were radiant with knowledge and wisdom. How can I describe it? But, you know, Ramana's not going to get into an argument with him. And so when he saw that he was intractable, he just said, yes, yes. That's a good lesson for us, isn't it? <laughs> so, very interesting little vignette. One more from Surinagama. <clears throat> this is from August 1946, about four years before Ramana died. She writes, during the early days of my arrival at the ashram, there was a Vaisya boy living here. Vaisya is one of the castes, it's the merchant caste. <clears throat> His hair was matted without being attended to. <clears throat> we used to have a guy here with matted hair. <laughs> he used to get food from charitable householders and sleep in the Aranachala temple at night. His mother came to the ashram and pressed him to return home, and so he ran away to Pandapur. He was her only son. So he's a little crazy, he goes to, Pandapur is of course a great center of pilgrimage. <clears throat> they had plenty of property, Surinagama is writing. 
The boy was a sort of wandering beggar, a renunciant, who would say that he did not want anything. When that mother related her woeful story to Bhagwan and sought his help, said, oh, Bhagwan, please help me, my boy, he's run off to, he's this fanatic, he's run to Pandapur. Bhagwan tried to uh, prevail upon the boy once or twice uh, to listen to his mother's words. So he's so sweet, he tried to help out. So he spoke to the boy, the boy wouldn't listen. <clears throat> he did not listen, but instead he ran away. <clears throat> he came again during last month. He was keeping away from others, sitting, sitting in a corner of the hall. There are a lot of uh, cases like this that be run off to the Himalayas and become then a one-pointed focus, kind of a neurosis of some sort. <clears throat> you may call it sadhana or whatever you like, except that his hair was no longer matted. There was no other change in his routine or appearance. Bhagwan was observing him continuously. She was looking at Bhagwan's looking. <laughs> the boy did not speak. After 15 days, Raj Gopal Iyer, who had retired from his job and come back to his library work at the ashram, happened to come to the hall, noticing the Vaishya boy, and said to Bhagavan, so it's a retired devotee who's come to live in the ashram, says, this boy appears to have returned from Pandapur. His mother left her address. Didn't she request us to write her in case he came back? Bhagavan said, Yes, he's come back. <clears throat> that was about 15 days ago. I've been observing him. <laughs> he does not speak. So how could I ask him, what is Pandapur like? <clears throat> Where is the prasadam, etc.? What prasad did you bring? <clears throat> we have to conduct ourselves according to the workings of the minds of others. What is this? We are duty-bound to adjust ourselves thus. What's that? External, External considering. Since we have to you know, recognize his state of mind and adapt to it. And then she writes, people of intelligence examine their own minds. There's no knowing about the minds of others. Bhagavan says that he has to adjust himself according to the desires and intentions of others. See what a great precept this is, writes the brother. External considering. What happened to the boy? We don't know. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what happened. He suddenly became very normal. He got married. He became a big industrialist. He made lots of money. And then he left the world and became a great saint. And he's world famous. But I can't give you his name. <laughs> What? He took very good care of his mother and gave her a big mansion <laughs> on the waterfront in Mumbai. <clears throat> and she wrote several novels. <laughs> okay, so now we have a wonderful dialogue. <clears throat> it's fairly long. I don't know if we'll get through it all. But a lot of the teachings are here, and 
and some uh, some of the drama of his interaction with devotees. And this is from earlier, from September 1936. This is not recorded by Suri Nagama, <clears throat> but this is from the book Talks with Ramana. So the uh, the narrator, the writer, says, an aristocratic lady looking very intelligent, though pensive, asked, now there's a lot in that already. <laughs> An aristocratic lady, so very attention to class and caste. Um, of course, if she's aristocratic, that means she looks very intelligent, but pensive. She's sad. <clears throat> but she asked, we had heard of you, Maharaji, as the kindest and noblest soul. We had long desired to have your darshan. I came here once before on the 14th of last month, but could not remain in your holy presence as long as I wished. There are no holy men like you in our part of the country. So she's come from somewhere else. I have everything I want. I do not have, but I do not have that peace of mind which brings happiness. <clears throat> I now come here seeking your blessing so I may gain it. I want to know how I can attain the peace of mind. That peace of mind, kindly advise me. Okay, I have everything material, um, and I know I can feel that in, you have the, that in your presence there's shakti, there's holiness. Uh, so tell me how I can find peace of mind. I have everything, but I'm still miserable. <clears throat> Ramana's answer is interesting, right? We should be ready to hear an answer. He says, yes, the path of devotion and surrender will bring that happiness. So Ramana always said that there are two paths, two basic paths. One is the path of self-inquiry, who am I, which is the path of wisdom, to look within and find out who you were, who you are. And this, he said, was a difficult path because you had to do this in a lonely way. Uh, and then for those who weren't ready to do that, the path of devotion and loving the guru, loving the deity, whatever, uh, was the path. And he didn't say that they were unequal. He said they both led to the, the same goal. <clears throat> anyway, he goes on. But then she says, she's not objecting to it, she says, am I worthy of being a devotee? Ramana, everyone can be a devotee. Spiritual nourishment is for all and never denied to anyone. Be the person, uh, denied to anyone, be the person old or young, male or female. Because everyone has the same self within. It's purely 100% democratic and total equal vision, 100%. There's no distinctions. Everyone has the same capacity inside. Devotee, our aristocratic lady. That is exactly what I'm anxious to know. I am young and a grahini, a housewife, householder. She's a young householder. There are duties of grihasta dharma, uh, that is the householder's duties. 
<clears throat> is devotion consistent with such a position? Can you, can you be a householder and still have devotion? Ramana says, what? <laughs> what do you think? Sure, right? No, he says, no, it's impossible. No. <laughs> he says, certainly. And now you get his perspective, his big picture, which many of us we might hold theoretically, but Ramana actually lived this point of view. He says, certainly, what are you? You're not the body. You are pure consciousness. Grahasta Dharma and the world are only phenomena appearing in that pure consciousness. So all the dramas of your life are just dramas appearing in pure consciousness. In, your, in every one of our lives, we've got this problem and that problem, but our true nature is pure awareness. Whatever problems arise are just arising in pure consciousness, but our essence is always that pure consciousness. He says, it remains unaffected what prevents you from being your own self? So even if you're a householder, you can be the self. Devotee. Yes, I'm already aware of the line of teaching of Maharshi. So, so I read this. <laughs> uh, it is the quest for the self. That's his teaching. But my doubt persists if such a quest is compatible with the householder life. Should maybe I go to the Himalayas and become a, a monk? Uh, Ramana, the self is always there. It is you. There is nothing but you. Nothing can be apart from you. The question of incompatibility or otherwise does not arise. You are the self. You're not going to change it or by changing your lifestyle will go somewhere. <clears throat> Devotee, I shall be more definite. Okay, so now she tells what's really bugging her. Though a stranger, I'm obliged to confess the cause of my anxiety. So she's one, being less formal is going to confess it. A close relative passed away in February. I was grief-stricken. I had become disgusted with this life. I want to devote myself to spiritual life. But my duties as a grahini do not permit me to lead a retired life, hence my doubt. So she's gotten what they call temporary viragya. Uh, that happens when some bad thing happens in your life. You suddenly get a shock, and then you feel life's not worth anything. I want to renounce it all. But it's not permanent, it's not the real thing, but still, it's powerful. <clears throat> Mana says, retirement means abidance in the self, nothing more. It doesn't mean going to the monies, it means just being in the self. It is not leaving one set of surroundings and getting entangled in another set, nor even leaving the concrete world and becoming involved in a mental world, not just going off into your mind. Birth and death are seen in the self only. So you know the self, you don't have to do anything else. In sleep, you feel great happiness. When you wake up, you remember, oh, my loved one is gone. 
and feel sorrow. The happiness is still with you. Only your thoughts have taken it away. So another part of the teaching is our mind that, that makes us miserable, the stories we tell ourselves. <clears throat> Go deeper than your thoughts and you'll find happiness again. He's so simple and direct, isn't it? And the devotees normally can't bear anything that direct. So how's that to be done, she asks. He says, <clears throat> and this is a pure summary of his essential teaching, which uh, around the world is studied assiduously with different theories of it. He says, see who it is that grieves. Who is the griever? Who is the thinker? That is the ego. Hold it. Just hold it. The other thoughts will die away. The ego is left pure. See from where the ego arises. That is pure consciousness. So this is his basic thing. He says, you don't say, who am I? So you just go on, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? <clears throat> you, you realize that it's your personhood and you just hold on to the I thought, he would say. I. That's the ego. Just hold on to it. Don't let all the other thoughts happen. Just hold the I. And as you hold the I, the other thoughts quiet down and you become the I. And then you know the self. And then you see where it all arises from, which is pure consciousness. And she says, this method seems difficult. May we proceed by bhakti mark? You just told her. Can we do to practice devotion? Ramana says, this is according to individual temperament and equipment. Bhakti is the same as inquiry. <clears throat> Devotee, I mean meditation, etc. I recently spoke to a, an old-time devotee, and this person said, um, uh, you and I could really talk in the old days because we're both jnanis. And I said, oh, you know, I'm a bhakta, really. I just, I, I, my path is just loving the guru. And this person said, you're not a, a bhakta. <laughs> so I said, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> you're a Johnny. <laughs> what do you think? What am I? devotion. I didn't realize it, but I came to realize it. <clears throat> Passive wisdom is too difficult. It's, it's really stupid path. Dry. It's full of devotion. Full of wisdom. Stupid. <laughs> So he says, I mean meditation, etc. He goes, yes, meditation on a form. That will drive away other thoughts. <clears throat> the one thought of God will dominate others. That is concentration. So now he's being a yogi. 
you focus. The object of meditation is thus the same as that of inquiry. So to remind all the paths of one, the um, pensive lady says, do we not see God in concrete form? Ramana, yes, God is seen in the mind. The concrete form may be seen, still it is only in the devotee's mind. The form and appearance of God manifestation are determined by the mind of the devotee. So you imagine whatever particular form you're drawn to. But it's not the finality. There's still the sense of duality. It's like a dream vision. After God is perceived, vichara commences. So, so even if you see God, you see Krishna dancing, you see Shiva in your meditation, you even see the guru, then you have to ask, who am I? <laughs> You turn within. And so he's saying, <clears throat> that ends in realization of the self. Vichara is the ultimate root. So you have to end by, by inquiry into who you are and to know to be established in that self. Of course, few find vichara practicable. Others find bhakti easier. Devotee, did not Mr. Brunton find you in London? Was it only a dream? So Paul Brunton, the, the author, reported seeing, uh, having a vision of Ramana in, uh, in London while he was away from him. And Ramana says, yes, he had a vision. He saw me in his mind. Did he not see his concrete form? This concrete form? See, what she's angling at, she want, there's the idea of sakshatkar, where we actually see the deity like alive in front of you. Professor Jane's mother used to go around. She used to be in the ashram. She was an old Indian lady, and she would sometimes be seen talking to some invisible person. And it was said that baby Krishna Gopal <laughs> appeared before, and she always had him there and talked to him. So that's what everyone wants in India, the, the Sakshaka. They want the living vision of, of uh, God, like that. But he's saying it's only in their mind anyway. <clears throat> he says, uh, uh, yes, it's still in his mind. Devotee says, how shall I reach the self? Ramana, now he's switching gears to the higher philosophy. There's no reaching the self. If the self were to be reached, it would mean that the self is not now and here, but it should be God anew. What is, is God fresh will be lost, so it will be impermanent. What is not permanent is not worth striving for. So it's really gone off here. You can't attain the self, you have it already. If it's something new to attain, it's, it'll go away one day. It's not worth anything. You are the self. You are already that. Now it's the highest wisdom he's teaching. It's very interesting how he's doing this. <clears throat> the fact is that you're ignorant of your blissful state. Ignorance supervenes and draws a veil over the pure bliss. And that's our condition. Some kind of ignorance hides what is already there. 
these tendencies of our mind towards anger, fear, depression, uh, keep us from it. But it's a very optimistic philosophy. It says that it's all there inside of us. Perfect joy is there inside of us. We just have to find a way to it. And it means letting the mind become quiet, not paying so much attention to the negative mind. He says, attempts are directed only to remove this ignorance. <clears throat> this ignorance consists in wrong knowledge. The wrong knowledge consists in the false identification of the self with the body, the mind, etc. This false identity must go and there remains the self. So he's saying that all of our suffering is based on wrong identification. Because we think we're this person, we're this body-mind, we're this uh, individual. It's very, very hard to overcome that identification. Let's be real about it. Nonetheless, it's a false identification. And so that when you practice, you're going towards freeing yourself from that identification. And as you work, you get stronger, more clearly identified with the true self. And these other identifications weaken. Question, how is this to happen? It's good dialogue, isn't it? Yeah. I got still pages more. Tell me when I should Next stop. Next week. Next week I'll finish it? Okay, I'll say this one more thing. How does it happen? By inquiry into the self. Devotee, it is difficult. <laughs> Can I realize the self, Maharaj? Kindly tell me, it looks so difficult. He says, you're already the self. Therefore, realization is common to everyone. From the, our point of view, it seems so far away. From his point of view, sitting in that place, it's right there. What's the matter with you people? It's just there. Realization knows no difference in the aspirants. This very doubt, can I realize, or the feeling I have not realized, are the obstacles. Be free from them also. So... In each way, we all put obstacles in the way of knowing the self, he's saying, so get rid of them. I'll leave the next few. I've, next week, I have something planned, but I don't know what. What am I planning next week? Change your plan. Huh? <laughs> what? What's that? Change your plan. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's good. Oh, if I have notes from the tea shop, I can, I'll do this first and then go, no. Is that right? Oh, notes from the tea shop next week. So this will be a note from uh, Ramana's tea shop. <laughs> All right. Find that interesting? Call me crazy, but I find that fascinating. <laughs> I used to read that book like a maniac, trying to dig the essence out of it. And he'd say all these things, and I'd say, what the hell? He's saying, I have the self with, it's with me. I'd say, no way, man. I just have all this crap going on. What are you getting on now? <laughs> <laughs> That's dangerous.
I'm doing shtick. Okay, we'll meditate. God, a guy can't do a little shtick. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Let's meditate for 10 minutes. And newly, freshly, Let's go inside. And Ramana says, no greater ex uh, authority than Ramana Maharshi. And he tells you that the self is already perfect within you. So when you look inside, the self is there. He wants to stay and meditate. Okay, so we'll meditate for 10 minutes on the self. You can practice devotion or you can practice self-inquiry. Let's meditate now for 10 minutes. Once again, with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. Sakuna Maharaj Ki Jai.